Welcome, everybody, to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravella, and I'm the co-host of this show. And I'm Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. And we have a great guest today to talk about, I think, one of the most important issues on the planet, climate change. Joining us today is Dr. Susan Havorka, a senior research scientist at the Bureau of Economic Geology. And for all you Aggies out there, that's part of UT at the Jackson School of Geosciences in Austin, Texas. Uh, Dr. Havorka, uh, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Great to be talking to you, Peter. It's great to have you here, uh, Dr. Havorka. We're sitting in her office. You can tell that we are in a research facility. There are papers everywhere, maps everywhere. We are really excited to dive. Fossils, rocks, I love it. (laughs) We're excited to dive into uh, this interview today, but first let's take care of a little business and have a word from our sponsors. Uh, The American Shoreline Podcast Network is sponsored these days by Dune Doctors of Pensacola, Florida a dune restoration company using natural dune plants along the American shoreline. Uh, Sea level rise is coming our way, and these are the folks who can help you keep your dune in shape. Dune Doctors of Pensacola. Find them at dunedoctors.com. And TI Coastal Services out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Just the kind of coastal engineering firm you want working in your community. They're responsible. Come in on budget. Go to ticoastal.com for more information. And LJA Engineering in Austin, Texas, and 28 offices around the uh, around Texas and the Gulf Coast. T, uh, LJA Engineering, led by Bill Worsham in the Coastal Division. Uh, fantastic guy. Find LJA Engineering at lja.com. Well, Dr. Havork, it's great to have you on the show today. And, you know... We're going to dive so deep into the subject of uh, carbon sequestration and the work that you are doing here. But I think it would be really helpful just to start broad. Let's talk about CO2 and why it's a problem just broadly. You know, we, we hear about it on the on the news. We're pretty conversant now that that we have a greenhouse gas issue. <laughs> but but let's just back up. And in, in your words, tell us a little bit why that's just an issue. So the, uh, there's a large amount of CO2, or sorry, large amount of carbon stored as uh, fossil fuel in the earth. And um, we extract this and use it for many purposes, for, for fuel, for um, heat, light, uh, for making plastics, for all kinds of purposes. When we extract the uh, fossil fuel and use it, um, we release the byproducts. Now, many of these are regulated um, and we are not allowed to release them. We have to clean it up and mm-hmm. nitrous oxide, for rest, example, and 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 all the um, many particulates, the particulates, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the all the things that would that would make that you can see or smell. We're su- we are supposed to um, avoid releasing. Uh, the thing that we are still allowed to release that we're talking about today is the carbon dioxide. So when you uh, burn something, you take the carbon from fossil fuel and you um, add oxygen and extract energy and what you have left that you let go is water vapor and carbon dioxide. Right. And, you know, that's one of the things I remember from organic chemistry was perfect conduction or, uh, combustion or complete combustion produces carbon dioxide and water. Right. And it's incomplete uh, combustion that produces all the stuff in, at a, coming out of a car tailpipe that we are concerned about. Nitrous oxides or whatever these other pollutants are, mm-hmm. but the intended result of combustion is carbon dioxide and water. Right, and at this time we have are releasing it to the atmosphere, 
Now, carbon dioxide is not uh, harmful to your to your health in, in normal convert, uh, concentration. It's 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 in fact a um, byproduct of uh, all the uh, energy production of all living things. Mm-hmm. People. Respiration. It's our exhale is yes. CO two. So it's it it's not classified in the same way as the other uh, 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 products of waste products of combustion. Mm-hmm. And uh, carbon is also kind of a. I mean, I just I'm remembering back to college now, but carbon is a kind of a, a magical uh, element element in that it can be it's it can like attach to anything, right? Or or it, it's got. It's got the ability to be bonded four times or something <laughs> something like that. Is that correct? That's, that's one reason it's a, it's a public... Let's do a little bit of... Let's do the periodic table. Yeah, Tell us about carbon and the benzene ring. Come on, we can we can take them there. Hang with us, you audience people. We're going to talk about organic chemistry here. Well, it... it, it um, uh, no, we're not going to... Because we're, we're going to focus on the... We are. We're going to get to that. Okay. Car- okay, we are going to get to that. But I want to say one thing, uh, Dr. Havorka, which I think is something that people maybe don't realize is that when you burn a gallon of gasoline, we produce a, it produces a lot of carbon dioxide. And I think I looked this up, right? I want to say that a gallon of gasoline weighs about 6.3 pounds. I can't remember exactly. And when you burn a gallon of gasoline, you get 19 pounds of carbon dioxide. And you're thinking, well, how the hell... But, of course, that's a matter of organic chemistry. It's very straightforward that you're that is true. You're adding the oxygen into the... Yes. You're making, taking carbon and making it carbon dioxide. Right. Um, and if you have doubt about the reality of this, you can remember the other thing that's released during burning is water vapor. Mm-hmm. And so if you, on a cold day, if you go out and look at something oh. that's combusting, like oh. a, a tailpipe of your car or yeah. a, a chimney, you'll see... Uh, uh, white stuff, yeah. and that's not smoke, that's steam. That's uh, water vapor. Though, So there's twice as much water vapor as CO2. Is that right? Wow. So, so if you want to know where CO2 is invisible to our eyes, um, and we don't we don't see it, but you can see the water vapor because it, 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 when it condenses in the atmosphere, you can see it. And so I it see. gives you a clue where yeah. CO2 is coming out from a, a combustion process. We produce a lot of it. I think it, from what I've looked up, and you have, correct me here, but... The human-produced carbon dioxide contribution to the atmosphere somewhere around 40 million tons a year. Does that sound right? Well, it depends on what, what geographic and what division, but it's large. There's, there's, it's a lot. There's a lot, of, um, there's a lot of CO2 released in and the atmosphere. coal combustion, oil combustion, natural gas, which is a better uh, fuel, produces less CO2, although contributes substantially. Mm. And the one that you mentioned in our sort of pre-discussion that I really entire now we're talking about cement manufacturing what <laughs> yeah what well that one is not a, that one does have a combustion process because okay. you make cement by heating limestone uh. but, it, but it also releases co2 during the process of of making the the uh, cement from from the they okay from the uh, limestone you release the some of the co2 as part of that process okay um you you release also a lot of CO2 during during reduction of iron to make steel. Really? So, yeah. Okay. So, so there's many, many processes that, um, release, that release CO2. It's very um, fundamental in our, in our, um, right. our industry, our culture, and our, the things we need to... It's ubiquitous on the planet. We're a carbon-based life form. I heard that on Star Trek. And we're, we, we really, <laughs> yes. 
aren't we? I so, think we're, aren't we all made out of like about a lot of carbon? I think we are. Right. And we, <laughs> and, and, and we, and we fundamentally love it. Um, but so the thing I said before about mm-hmm. we can't see it with our eyes is the critical thing okay. about understanding how our activities are impacting climate, which is, right. so it, it's not because it's, it's toxic at the concentrations we're releasing it. It's because it's, uh, it, that it's not only our eyes that matter. Okay. When light from the sun comes through our atmosphere, it's all the wavelengths. So when you get into the the uh, infrared, the heat mm-hmm. wavelengths, they interact strongly with carbon dioxide. Okay, let's walk down that path a little bit there. I think that's important. So sunlight is obviously a composition of different wavelengths of, of light that have different energy characteristics. This is what comes from space, hits the earth, it's what's happening with infrared and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Well, I'm not an atmospheric physicist, so I'll okay. keep it really simple Let's because simple. I don't want to tell your viewers lies, and I, I, okay. might, I might get off the... I love that my... about scientists. <laughs> Always very careful, fact-based. Thank you so much. I accept that caveat. But, but, um, the, but the fundament that's, that's important is that um, if you were looking at a carbon dioxide plume with infrared eyes, hmm. um, you would see black. It would be so you so let me fill this huh. analog. Your eyes see the wavelengths in the light spectrum from right. red to pur- um, purple. So, uh, uh, right. So, so something that where that absorbs a lot of the light energy looks black, right? And, right? and then you touch it, the hot asphalt with your feet, and you realize it absorbed the light energy turned into heat energy. Wow! Right. So, Great. So if you have that's fabulous. If I you're working that. in the infrared, which we our eyes can't see, but if we use an infrared camera, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and there's a and there's a concentration of CO2. You can see it. it it'll will be, be black. It'll be absorbing that uh, uh, that energy coming from the sun. Gotcha. And, and turning it into heat energy. So the visible spectrum, which is your eye, is actually picking up the reflection of light. That's how you see color and things. And then you when. The infrared spectrum hits a CO2 plume. It's getting absorbed there, so there's no reflection. It appears black. Is that And so and it, it's very detectable. And it's being turned into heat. And being turned into heat. Okay, that's the next part. Tell us how that works. How does, how does well, it's, infrared increase? Well, how does it... How does it I, what I guess is energy is retained in the atmosphere in some form here. Yes. So can you? I know you're not the atmospheric I'm not, person, I'm, but I'm not. Atmosphere, the but, atmosphere is a really complicated thing, right. and, and people get confused. And I actually don't want to add to confusion. Okay. It's got many <laughs> layers that each one acts separately. Um, the the key thing to understand is by changing the composition of the atmosphere, we change its properties to retain heat. And okay. I think I think I, I'll leave you to talk That's to an atmospheric great. physicist to get all right. the details of exactly how this occurs because right. it's, it's it's really complex and okay. um, but the but the simple fact the simple part of it is not complex it's very straightforward right and so just to kind of the way i'm looking thinking about it as you're describing it is that the earth is kind of a closed system it has so much carbon in it the carbon was in the earth and i'm actually we'll save that conversation for another day of how it got there but i, I am curious about that and we are taking it from a place where it's not in the atmosphere. It's in our system, but it's not in the atmosphere. And we are changing it through combustion, and we are putting it in the atmosphere. That's the, that's the basic thing. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, it, we're trapping more heat. So, so let's just take a minute about what carbon does when, when people are not influencing it. Yeah. We'll explain that. Because Would love to hear that. that um, so the, the, it's a cycle. The, um, the uh, plants take up 
the carbon as part of their photosynthetic activity, right? right. They take car- cycle. They take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, turn mm-hmm. it into plant material. Um, we'll just imagine sugar, carbon. Yeah. Um, so some of those materials are buried. Mostly um, the prolific providers are plankton in the ocean. Right. So, huh. so they're taking CO2 from the atmosphere that's dissolved in the ocean. So that's... Uh, when the atmospheric concentrations go up, the ocean concentrations go up too. Indeed. Because they're in communication. Yes. It's a solution. So, right. So you've seen the reverse occur when you open a, a carbonated beverage of your that you prefer to think about. Um, mm-hmm. Depending on the time of day, you imagine your carbon beverage. <laughs> and, it's and, either a soda right. or a good and, craft and, beer in Austin, will, one of the two. <laughs> it will, it will, it will uh, re-equilibrate with the atmosphere, and you'll see bubbles come out of it when you open it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you change the the... If you wanted to inc- put the bubbles back in, you just increase the carbon dioxide content above huh. it, and it would go it, back into solution. And that's what mm-hmm. ha- is happening to the ocean, and inf- influencing every every organism that lives in the ocean too. That is absolutely a big deal, and something we've read quite a bit about uh, and covered on Coastal News today is the acidification of the ocean. It changes the uh, the concentration of I guess it's bicarbonate or carbonate in solution and uh, all of carbonic acid is it carbonic acid yes. is that it which is affects the the whole shellfish but it affects the whole natural system in ways that are measurable now yes um, it's quite it's quite measurable and, and uh, quite a big impact and and if you're talking about how long the the exhaust the co2 that you released from your driving yeah. your car today it goes yeah. up in the atmosphere but then yeah. it's stored in the ocean. So it'll be there for quite a while, That's hundreds, the tens of hundreds of years, and going around. Um, so let's let's finish this. Yeah, I'm let's, sorry. Let's finish the cycle without without um, people. The, okay. The 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 CO two that's in the that was take from the atmosphere is taken up by the plants, whether out of the atm- mm-hmm. air or out of the out of the ocean, and it falls to the bottom. It's buried. Um, Either as a coal, if it falls to the bottom on land, it could be a coal. If it falls to the bottom in the ocean, it may become oil or huh. gas. Um, and hmm. and then of course um, those are slowly released. They don't stay forever. When the continents erode, those those materials are released back to the atmosphere. And we're talking geologic time here. Geologic uh, time, millions of years. Millions of, of years. Processes that that the cycle goes round and round. Well, mm-hmm. we've we've speeded up the one of the transfers from the um, from the storage in the earth to the atmosphere. Okay. And, and that speeded up storage in the ocean. Substantially, I would say, right? Right. And because we extract it and then we convert it uh, through combustion or other uses into uh, a, 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 a gas, a gas form of the carbon and, and CO2 and, and carbon monoxide, carbon oxides, I believe can they're I, called. Can I just ask a question back to pre-man manipulation? What percent of carbon would be in those different places pre-human? I'd have to look it up. Okay. I think it's on my pegboard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it? are we like way out of line? Like, no. is it very, no, very no, different? It's, it, no, it's one reason people have trouble understanding climate change is because a very subtle change has a quite significant impact. Right. The, the And people don't understand why going from 350 parts per million mm-hmm. CO2 to 400 or right. 400 to 500. Does this matter to me? And the a- answer is because it's invisible right. to you. You right. don't think it's significant. But if you take something and you imagine it was in a glass of water and you were adding something 
and that you could tolerate it when it was light pink, but it would taste terrible as it turned purple. Hmm. Um, you know, and you've probably sure. added too much sugar to your tea, right. and it became and it's a small amount when you're sensitive to it ah. that can that can matter to the and and again we need to go to atmospheric physics and have the okay the climate modelers tell us and mm-hmm. and what they what they tell us matches with what we observe. So I'd like to come back to what I just said about the transfer one way is too fast because our research is about fixing that. Right, okay. We're doing a really fast transfer from storage in the earth and releasing to atmosphere. Right. And there's two options. One is to stop it. Right. Don't do that transfer, which many people are advocates for, and I myself am an advocate for sure. in many ways if you can conserve, use renewables recycle all these things are highly desirable and something we need to do and I um, but the other option we have that people don't think enough about is to fix it so what we in our in our research are working with many people around the world to instead of releasing the byproducts of fossil fuel combustion to the atmosphere mm-hmm. we capture them and we put them back underground put them back in the ground and so let's I'm going to emphasize these two things because I think it's important for people to understand that there's two ways to respond to the conditions that we're creating with increased concentrations of co2 in the atmosphere is to reduce the production or you say the transfer of carbon from an innate or sort of buried state into an atmospheric condition and the other one is simply to is to now that it's in the atmosphere is to find it collect it and put it back in the ground that's the sequestration idea mm-hmm. um, we don't we think the most effective thing to do is never to release it though right so if you're have a let's just take a concrete case if you have a, a fossil fuel powered um, electric facility right. um, and uh, it, right now it's it's combusting and releasing to atmosphere mm-hmm. you don't want that you would like your fuel at your electricity your house to be carbon neutral carbon neutral then um, you could convert that facility to a non-carbon-based facility. Okay. But you could also convert it to a carbon-neutral facility by capturing at that facility. So rather than releasing to air, you catch it before it goes up the smokestack. Okay. And and then you uh, re-inject it deep in the earth where it will be permanently stored as it was before. Okay. So there's a bunch of things that I want to know about. First of all, we're talking about going to the point sources of the, rather than sort of going out in your backyard and somehow collecting the carbon molecules floating around, we're talking about its source of concentrated origin, which Mm -hmm. makes it economically, I would assume, or technologically uh, able to do. Easier, yes. And okay, so I don't know if you want, how far you want to go into that, but I'm interested in the process. How can you take carbon out of a smokestack? In what form does it end up? And how do you... I'm just thinking there's pipelines here, there's drilling, there's, how does this work? What does sequestration really mean physically? There's, there's a dozen options. Let's just talk about a few. Okay. Um, um, if, if you are, uh, for example, the Petronova project that's running um, in Sugarland, Texas. Okay. They kept their conventional operations. So they're using it, they're using their coal-fired power plants, bringing Wyoming coal, Powering, mm-hmm. pow- providing a lot of power to Houston and to the Texas grid, a big power plant. Um, they were releasing it all to atmosphere, and now they take, instead of putting it up the stack, okay. they have a big pipeline. You could see it online. Um, mm. They run it over to a facility that's two towers, um, 
and they do in that case what's uh, called a, um, a post-combustion capture. They okay. they have a chemical. It's it's a it's an amine. Um, it's a chemical that likes CO two. So it'll right. you bubble the CO two rich um, flue gas through okay. through a, a column that's got this chemical in it. Okay, it's a and liquid, I assume. So you're, you dissolve. You're, it's a salt. It's oh, a, it's a salt. Okay, salt in water, and so you bubble it through this salty solution that's got this amine that likes CO two. Mm-hmm. It grabs the CO two out of solution. Hmm. If you do it in stages, it'll grab essentially all of it. Um, okay, then you've got this amine, CO2-rich solution. Okay. And, and in this case, you want to use that salt over and over again to keep the cost low and not have disposal. Gotcha. So you got to strip so, it out somehow. So you put it through a stripper. And the, the, in that case, the, you, you can design these uh, processes to strip by any change, but in that case, they're, they're heating it. So okay. they, they have huh. a lot of energy at that facility they sure well they it's they, a power plant power plant <laughs> a lot so, of heat so they use the heat at the and um they strip the, the huh. co2 out and then they have uh pure co2 and um and Is and it, air okay well, they have back to nitrogen they release the nitrogen and okay. they put the they, they take the co2 they dehydrate it and they compress it and they put it in a pipeline all right let's talk phases here because i want to know so it's it, uh, it we're talking about it uh the exhaust stack of a power plant, a coal-fired uh-huh. power plant. We're going to run that flue gas through a scrubber or a filter here, an amine salt solution, mm-hmm. pull the carbon out of the gas drain, and then take it off of the this, the chemical that pulls it out. We're going to so you can reuse it. That makes good sense. And and at that point, uh, yeah, the nitrogen gets released to the air. There's 21 percent of the atmosphere is nitrogen. It's nobody has to worry about that, right? It, That's it, not a problem. It, yes, 87. Eight, yeah, is it 80? <laughs> is it the other way? Yeah. Yes. It's, <laughs> oh, it's the other way. Okay. It's the majority of it. I remember yeah. this from when I was a, in scuba diving. There was some partial pressure. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you end up. Do you end up with carbon dioxide at that phase in a in a gas form or is it a liquid form? And what do you do with it then? It, you, uh, chemical engineers can do all this chemical engineering. Whatever magic. phase but, you but want. At Petronova, at their, they have gas phase. It's at working at atmospheric pressure. Okay. So then they have to compress it to transport it because it's not efficient to build a pipeline big enough to transport gas phase. Okay. You could, but it would be expensive in the pipeline. Big volume. So you want to compress it because... Uh, and how do you do that? What does that mean? A, you, f- with, you freeze it? No. You, you, you want to ship it. In that case, that's an option, freezing it. You have many options. Okay. Um, but in that case, what they do is, is they... So, want to ship it as a liquid co2 is a non-ideal gas so okay. it becomes liquid at, at a at a um at a fairly high temperature and fairly moderate pressure hmm. um so um so it beca- it's turned into a liquid co2 they, and what do you put it in a they, truck and they compress first they compress it with a, with the blowers and then they can then they can pump it to, and then it becomes more liquid like and they can pump it which is more efficient in so a pipeline so they put it through a series of pumps of of blowers and pumps and this and getting the terminology right is where you get a lot of efficiency and I'm not a process okay. engineer so okay but um, you're helping me I'm understanding <laughs> so I'm just, in general you you, okay. s- you squeeze it by okay. the efficient method and then you put it in a pipeline the pipeline's about um, it's on the online what it is um, uh, it's not a very big diameter pipeline in, in okay. inches inches okay. not feet um, okay right um, and they ship it to uh, West Ranch oil field where it goes down 8,000 feet underground okay so we're re-injecting in a gas form in underground and in liquid liquidified and we call it dense form dense form that I, if your listeners are very 
technically savvy, I'll tell them what we call Please it. Please do. Give and, it a shot. Because people get this confused. Give it, it a they, go. They call it a supercritical. Now, that sounds like it's huh. nuclear, right? It yeah. scares everybody. Please don't think it says it's anything. Not. <laughs> it's not. No. <laughs> it's, a, it's just what you call it when it's uh, both hot and high pressure. It's a supercritical fluid. A su- it has, okay. It has very interesting properties that that... Wow. Um, so, but it's better to call it in public dense phase because people understand that okay. immediately. And you could pump it rather than, okay. than blow it. So it goes through a pipeline. It gets to some place where there's an oil field that may or may not be operating. And what we're going to do is re-inject it. And, does it. and so does the phase change when it gets underground? And why doesn't it all just leak out? Ah, well, because we're going to pick the right place. Um, okay. We, U.S. has has a long history. We're very affluent in this history. And the Safe Drinking Water Act of 1974, um, uh, we realized that we were releasing too much contaminant of all kinds mm-hmm. to, to water, in, waterways. Right. right. Um, so the EPA in, um, and Congress had a charge the EPA to regulate underground injection to put all kinds huh. of unwanted waste fluids and keep them out of the biosphere. And okay. this is just another one. Okay. It's also been injected underground for decades commercially at very large volumes for um, right. a CO2, to put this um, dense phase CO2 underground. Um, what the the regulations require, and they're very strict res- regulations, they're the Safe Drinking Water um, Act Underground Injection Control Program. Mm-hmm. Look it up. See what they say. They have classes of wealth. They have permits. There's an elaborate regulatory framework. Okay. People haven't heard of it because, for the most part, it works. Tell us the name of the pro- program again. Underground Injection Control. Okay. UIC. UIC program, which is a highly regulated exercise of putting carbon back into the ground. And I would imagine... Well, putting any, any fluid Or back. any fluid. Any fluid back in the ground. And, and the key consideration has to be... Does it stay where we put it, and is it going to affect groundwater or other resources we care about? Exactly. That's got to be what you're thinking, and right? They, and they put it in very technical terms. Um, okay. They have, it's, so um, the first thing is that you have to have a, a rock that can accept this fluid. Okay. Because otherwise it would squirt up. So most people have a conception that rocks are solid. Mm, yes, we do. We um, <laughs> got to change I'm, that. I'm looking at all the ones on your shelf, and they kind of look firm. They aren't. Though. They aren't. We have to look at those. But ones porosity is a high thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so tell us about this so, geology. Now we're getting into your territory. Yes, much better in my territory. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> that um, that many rocks have have spaces in them, okay. and people will think about the big spaces, caves, but they also have um, wow. small spaces, and those then the small spaces add up to be. Um, where most of the space on the okay. Earth is. Voluminous. Um, it, yeah. So um, here's how you understand it, two ways to understand it. One is if you if you have a, a, a rock that's made mostly of sand. Those okay. are, imagine, little round balls. All right. And pack them in as tight as you can. Push them down. Sand grains. Okay. You can use marbles in your mind. Marbles. You've got okay. a whole bunch right. of little round balls. In your, a jar of marbles. A jar of marbles. And you push them in. Okay. Is there, where is there space? Between each marble and yeah. its neighbor marble, there's space. Right. Okay, make that smaller. Those are sand grains. They mm-hmm. shrunk. Now they're very small, round objects. Mm. Um, same this, idea. The geometry is the same. Yeah. It's about 30% of the jar of marbles is oh, space. Great number. Okay, so 30 Is that true for sand, typically, that the, the porosity or the, the volume of the what we look at a stone, 30% of that is actual airspace? 
underground it's full of fluid okay it's usually full of it's usually full of water okay. or it could be full of oil or gas right or any other fluid that you have helium if you're at a helium resource but huh. um, yeah right and that's where you get the groundwater from so everybody's who's been to a well okay. that a jack and jill well that pumped or any fancy well um as pulling water out of those it's not out of a cave it's out of those small spaces between the sand grains okay wonderful so um, when we talk about like an aqueduct Aquifer. An aquifer. Mean, an aquifer. I'm so sorry. An aquifer. An aquifer, aquifer yeah. <laughs> when we talk about an aquifer, we're not talking about a, or like a, an underground river. We're talking about movement in that little, those gaps between the marbles. We're not talking about a big cave necessarily. Right. Yes. So when, so most people do think about there being a buried aqueduct, a big thing. Yes. Down there. That's what I used to think big, about. A big everybody, cavern. Everybody thinks about this. Yeah. I mean, because we've all been in caves, so it's the picture we bring. Right. But, but let's change the picture just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and everyone has experienced this. If you have not, go home, take a plant that's in dirt right in your house and water it. Okay. What happens? The water soaks in. Well, hopefully yes. the plant lives, but yes, the water yes. soaks in. So the water soaks in. Where is that water? It's not on the floor. It's not spilling out the top unless you put in too much. Um, it's in the spaces. So huh. everyone has experienced these spaces. They're small spaces. Okay. And the properties of those small spaces are really important for why this works. Okay. And so we have to break the misconception that rocks underground are all tombstones and can't accept any fluids. Okay. In fact, a tombstone can't accept any fluids, mm -hmm. and those are in the system too. But but um, about a in in um, in a favorable area like the coast of uh, Gulf Coast of Texas, um, about a third of the rocks can accept fluids. Okay. Let me ask a couple. Let me see if we can put our audience in the picture with us here. So we're talking about subsurface layers mm -hmm. offshore. That and that are some thousands of feet down. I assume we're not talking about the sand that you would be sitting on on the beach. That's not the deposit we're talking about. We're going deeper down into ancient layers of material that has a lot of storage capacity where we can put stuff. Is that fair? That's good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so the underground injection control requires that we be below and isolated from fresh water. Um, so we so we're not talking about anything. We have to, by federal law and by state law, mm -hmm. um, avoid injecting anything at all, any fluid whatsoever, into into um, fluids that are either fresh or can contact fresh water. Can I ask a another yeah. kind of question? We used the soda analogy earlier, but I'm just wondering if you were, I'm not saying you would ever do this, but if you were to take pure CO2 and put it where there was water, would you just basically get carbonated water because they dissolve it? We went over that. <laughs> They'll yeah. dissolve, right? Yeah. So, so Perrier yeah. is where CO two is coming at deep from right. the subsurface in France from from metamorphic and volcanic. Or rocks. as we do here in Austin, Topo Chico. Topo Chico <laughs> from Monterey, Mexico, right. uh, which is a naturally carbonated right. water source. Right. Okay, um, we're going under that. We're not going to mess with the upper it's, layers. It's illegal. It's uh, illegal. Okay. Uh, we cannot do it. It's it's illegal. We could talk about the consequences. We do a we here do quite a lot of work about what would happen if we were wrong too. We mm -hmm. could talk about that. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that. We'll but, but let's let's talk about what first. Let's talk about what we're what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah right. The, and then we can talk about mistakes, which totally. are important. Mm -hmm. Um, um. So so you the other half of so we have this rock that's got this. Uh, Poor spaces between sand grains that we agreed it was like a flower pot could accept enough water, 
a characterization, the UIC program and um, requires that we characterize that. So how much water can go in of a flower pot depends on how much space there is between the grains in it and mm-hmm. how much flower pot there is and okay. what it would under what conditions would it spill out you know so we have to find out in the subsurface and this seems like dark magic to many people but not to geologists who spend right. all of their time even when we're take we're driving in the car and talking at midnight or something <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 you mean pillow talk <laughs> is about sedimentary layers i mean we, come on sam <laughs> Not all the time. <laughs> Not all the time, but we we are pretty we are pretty intense about this. We have a lot yeah. of tools to find. I understand. We can, for example, we can use the geophysical tools, or we can use um, the penetrations where wells have been drilled for oil and gas and other right. other exploration, um, and and map out the geometries, find out how much space is between the grains, how thick the layer is, and how far it goes laterally. So that tells you the size of the flower okay. pot, tells you how much you can put into it without spilling. And so that's very important. I absolutely do. I just wanted, um, for the audience out there, when we're thinking about our understanding of subsurface sedimentary deposits and layers and the geology of, uh, let's say, the Texas coast, not the world at large, um, how would you characterize the state of knowledge or the state of the art? How much, how how good is it as, as a geologist and as a researcher? Are you are you sort of like we fifty percent know what's going on down there? Do you feel like we're better than that? How how much do we understand? Um, it depends on where you are. If you're okay. one of the reasons we we haven't talked about the where part of where the storage would occur, but okay. but um, since we're called the Gulf Coast Carbon Center, you probably know that we're working uh, on the Gulf Coast. Yes, we picked this be- for two reasons: that we know the state of knowledge is excellent. We have I would think very dense information because the of the extraction industry because of mm-hmm. the oil and gas that's been extracted. Right. Um, the the data that was was collected to find and produce um, that those resources gives us the information and the confidence that there's excellent storage resource okay. in this area. Your confidence level sounds pretty high in the geographic areas that you're studying as potential sequestration uh, reservoirs. I don't know what the term is. That, is that fine. fair? Yeah. That's that, where we're going to put where we're going to put it. We, we, yeah, we could. You're either, not shooting in the dark here. No, we could either put it back where oil and gas have been stored before. Or we could put it back in other similar structures that okay. didn't didn't get favored by oil oil and gas, but are analogous and and um, in right. properties. Um, so that's called saline storage because it's one is hmm. called depleted oil and gas storage, and the other is called saline storage because what's in it is salt water. Okay, uh, it's a salt water that's many many times more concentrated. Hypersaline yeah. subsurface brine brine, and so. When you so the the sort of the common sense question from I think uh, folks who don't think about this all the time. So we're going to pump a gas down. There, we're going to get it down there pretty deep. We know there's spaces where it can go, and I'm just thinking, well, it's just all going to bubble up. Right. <laughs> it's going to leave. Now, right. why does it stay down there? Um, there's there's several reasons. The first uh, reason is because I said that about a third of it was these sand layers. Okay. The other two thirds is clay layers. Okay. And clay layers. Everyone has met a clay layer when you had got a plate that's made of clay, right? Mm-hmm. You know, ceramic yeah. plate is made of clay. Yeah. Um, so these are as impermeable to fluids as your average. Hmm. That's why you can have a coffee cup that's made out of pottery. That's right. Because so the water doesn't go through it. So they're, nor does the 
they're, they're made what they're made of is very small grains clays are very small grains and uh, fluids can't move through them because the spaces are too small okay. for the fluids to move through easily. How about gases? Um, I mean, we're talking about CO2 uh, in solution down there, I guess. A fluid is a gas or a liquid. Okay. Jeez. Oh, man. <laughs> Zing. Um, that's right. <laughs> so, the three phases. <laughs> so, uh, okay, uh, so, so that so helps so me. And, All right. And the, and the dense phase CO2 is, is liquid-like. It's, okay. It's got a, a viscosity that's uh, lower than water, so it moves more. It, so if you think about viscosity, maple syrup has a high viscosity. It right. moves slowly. Water has a medium viscosity. Mm-hmm. So just keep going, and you'll get the CO2. It'd be very runny, runnier than water Okay. Um, if you had it at pressure and temperature. So the idea is we find that there's storage capacity in the interstitial spaces between the grains, uh, and then there is a cap, essentially, which is some sort of clay layer. Well, we don't like to call it cap because okay, that gives people we... a picture of a okay. bottle cap that you could yeah. pop off. It's not like that. All right, so help us. It's two-thirds of the rock mass. So it's more than a cap. People refer to it as I a see. cap rock, but that's actually it makes people think about the wrong idea. All right, so in the layers, we, a we, third of the layers is the sand place, and two-thirds of it is actually a we, big old giant... We call it the confining system. Oh, so it's, so it's great. A, it's so a con- system. So confining system is, is if, if you have a, you know, a small animal who escapes, you might have them in a, in a cage, and you might put a latch on it, and then you might shut them in a box, and then you might close the door, and that way the cat can't eat the hamster. And that's what we have underground, is hmm. is a confining system. Okay. So, so we have many, because the way of the construction of the earth by nature gives us this confinement. Um, I can tell you two ways. I can tell you one, and believe it, because we have oil and gas confined. Right. They accumulate in these environments for millions of years, and they don't come out, they accumulate down there, they don't come out till we pull them out. Lots of it. Yeah. Billions of barrels yep. down there. Yep, and so that's that gives us one okay. confidence. The other thing is we could talk about physics, um, that that um, it's, it's really hard to get a fluid to move from the system. So suppose that you watered a, you'd overwatered your cactus Okay. You put too much water. You realize that you didn't mean to water it. Can you get that water back out? Yeah, no. You can't sort of squeeze the dirt like you, a sponge. I guess you could. No, you, you, you can't you because can't. it's compressible. You when it's you can squeeze a sponge. Yes. Right. Because it's, it's a compressible. special property of a sponge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, and subsurface layers are not spongy. Right. If you're squeezing, squeezing a rock. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, but but let's let's talk about that because that's actually one of my questions. I'm thinking about like tectonic activity. If you were to have, you know, a plate push up against some, I mean, goodness, there are immense pressures being exerted under the planet. Uh-huh. Could that? I mean, they 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 do move. Yep. Things they create rocks. They create you know the pressures must be enough to move stuff around. Sure, pressure pressure will move things. Mm-hmm. So if if you'd overwatered your cactus, you could displace the water that you put in by blowing high pressure water into it. That's how you can right. get it out. Really? Yeah, but you don't usually do that. But no. it's hard to do. And it, right, I just let them die. There's, there's you'd a, make a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of so, dead plants. So, I'm either doing too much or too little. I'm so, not sure what. But. So let me let me use another another. Um, Another kind of analogy um, that people have, why things are stuck is because of capillary pressure. 
Yes, please do this. That that uh, we we're going to take these audience to school a little bit. Y'all need to hang in there with this and understand this because it's an important but, characteristics. Is is a physics principle. It is a physics principle, yeah. and we don't learn it in high school physics or college physics very much. But it's very okay. important to this porous media physics, and the way you can understand it is through laundry. So this isn't going to be too hard. Go well, ahead. So um, when you put one a fluid into something that's got tiny spaces. It's very hard to get it to come out of those tiny spaces. Even mm. your sponge, when you wrung it out, yeah, that it's was still the, damp. It's still damp. Suppose that you spilled, you know, uh, grease on your tie. It happens to me all the time. I <laughs> <laughs> we're in Austin, so salsa. So, I do that no, all the no, time. It's got to be. It, so it's the it's the other it's the phase grease. Ah, Let's go. Okay, grease. Grease. All right. You you put it in there. It won't come. It. You lick it, won't come out. You blow it, won't come out. What yeah. Do you, what do you do to get it out? Uh, shout it out. An alcohol. <laughs> Use hot water and soap or dry cleaning oh, fluid. Oh, yeah. So what's similar between hot, hot water and soap and dry cleaning fluid? Uh, uh, like dissolves like it, dissolves. It dissolves that's, the, that's the word. Yeah. That's the word. That yeah. You can't get it out except by chemistry. Oh. You can't get it out. Physics is not enough. You have to use chemistry. I see. You can't so mechanically it, separate it, it yes. really. So this capillary forces are very strong, and you know it when you do your laundry. In order to get something out of the pore spaces in your shirt. Okay. You have to use soapy water, hot soapy water, and dissolve it out. Yeah, right? there's some chemicals. We're we're doing either soap or there's some so, some distillate so, that's been put in a. So we know this is true from trying to get oil and gas out of the earth, which is a lot has been invested in that. They won't come course. out when you produce oil field to depletion. That there's still half a third of the original oil really down there. Wow. And it's stuck the same way that the grease is stuck on your shirt. It won't wow. come out of the spaces between. So, so we know it's sticky down there. Yeah. So to put the CO2 down, same thing happens. You can't, you can put it in, but you okay. can't get it out. It won't okay. come out. Okay. And that stickiness, the capillary forces depend on how small the spaces are. Yeah. Let's do that. Because I, I think that what I'm thinking is it's a surface area ratio issue. It's that, a poor throat ratio. Okay. T- t- explain this to so me. So capillary forces... Another thing is, uh, you know, people get the bends, right? From yeah. Where what does that what does that mean? It means that the the when your uh, change pressure and the um, the gas is dissolved gases, in your blood, blood comes out of solution, mm-hmm. and and then those bubbles get stuck in the right. capillaries in ah. small spaces. Um, ah. If so, they wouldn't oh, don't get stuck in the big. The, oh, okay. they don't, if they don't get stuck in your lungs. Your no. lungs are big spaces. Yeah. They get stuck in the small spaces. Oh. More gets, if the spaces are very small, more will get stuck. Ah. If the spaces are big. So if we had the aqueduct underground, the CO2 would all run out. So we're not using aqueducts. We don't have very many. We're not using them. If we have big car spaces, we're avoiding them. We want to put them in these small spaces because huh. they'll be because they'll be stuck. Once wow. they go in, they can't come out. The small, okay, so all of this tells me that the scientific research has to be about looking for the right characteristics in the right layers with the right, we're not saying cap, but confinement system. But you're looking, what you don't want is a big empty cavern. That's not what you're trying to do. You're not trying to pump it into a big vessel. We're trying to disperse it through this space. And so do so, we have do we have that stuff? We do. Um, so- Sometimes people say they'd rather engineer something, and I say, no, no, you don't understand. What we actually have is better than something right. we would engineer. It's because it has these properties of trapping both 
by the by the that. confinement and by the capillary processes. And the third one is the CO two will dissolve. We talked about the CO two dissolving in the okay. water, or um, so it will be trapped by th- three physics. Um, um, so as a scientist and as a senior research scientist, and you've spent, I take it, several years. There's the, the this is a an investigation that involves scientists all over the world are working on this issue. Your level of confidence in our capacity to get CO two into subsurface formations that are pr- appropriate is on a scale of one to ten. How comfortable are you that we, we can execute we, that? We, we are. We are doing it. We are doing it. It's at ten. Okay. Now, let's, ten. Let, let's not have hubris because yeah, you can. We wanted to talk about mistakes. The Hindenburg got the Titanic. You can you know, always, things can go wrong. You can always make a mistake. It's very important that that this be regulated activity, and mm-hmm. it is the um, the EPA made a new class of wells, class six, for regulating CO2 storage. Hmm. And does class six mean highly regulated? Is, highly that, regulated. is that what's inferred? Highly regulated. They they um, require you to show these principles of physics, the, the the ability of the layer to accept the volume and rate of fluid that you're planning. Okay. That, and the ability and the quality of the, of the confining system to isolate that fluid okay. from potable water. You have to show that and you have to prove it to them um, and there's a review, public review process, technical review, lots of... Going back to the plant, water in the plant analogy, uh, as Peter said, you can, you can overfill it, and the amount of space in there for the water is exhausted, and now you've got a pool on top of your, of your sp- soil. Or a puddle on the floor. Or a yeah. puddle on the floor this, if it this, goes through this, the... This would not be acceptable. This would be a failure. So this so, is part of the... the in order to get the permit, in order to do this, you have to know how much you can put in. And, What's the capacity? Yeah, that's, and are we keeping <laughs> are we keeping a wide margin here? Are we saying, listen, we're not, let's not push it up to ninety nine percent? We 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 there the um, the UIC program requires monitoring, um, so we have to show it to get the permit, and then we have to have a monitoring plan to report to the regulator. Okay, that that give feedback that our original prediction is is accurate That's enough and prudent and sensible so i would assume that what you're doing i mean help you help let's talk about what monitoring would mean somewhere in the layers above this sequestered carbon we're going to look to see if it's escaping up right is that what what how do you monitor we, it? what are you looking for we, we have multiple ways to monitor and that's what we that's the core of our research here oh, is, to, is to be out with them. Um, we, we really like to be in the field with with four national labs in the u.s geological survey um, and, and, a, and a dozen and a dozen students from from four universities and from all of all over the world um, uh, looking bringing all of our toys out to monitor so we have a mm. lot of tools that I I uh, you know it, it makes okay it, it makes me happy um, <laughs> <laughs> I love um, that that's the, the, the data and the, the physics information of, yeah the, the physics of co2 <clears throat> Um, substituted for water is allows us to make a lot of measurements. Our first line of defense is pressure because that's the that's the thing where we that that you were talking Tyler most about is is overpressurizing it. You know everyone's bu- burst a balloon. How do you know you're not going to do that? Because you're going to report to the regulator. <laughs> um, okay. We know what the strength of the earth is. It's more than a balloon, but it's not infinite. So, yeah. So we um, we have to measure the rate of co2 that's being put in and the pressure at which it's being put in that sounds complicated because it's not uniform i mean the thing i think about is it's easy well i mean if i'm assuming then that the the storage area i don't know what to call the layer that we're we're putting in um that the 
that the injection may result in differential pressures in that system, that it's not quite a balloon where the pressure is clearly equalized across the interior of the balloon. But in these, I mean, can you, in other words, do you, how it is, how it does, is it uniform? Does it sort of even out? Does it spread no. through? No. How do you make sure you don't have a hot spot, basically? It'll be like pressure in a garden hose where the high pressure is near the point that you start. You know, okay, of course. If you're putting a, a, you have a punctured hose and it was supposed to sprinkle and it'll sprinkle more at the close end, it's got higher pressure. I got you. Um, and the pressure will dissipate as you go further out. It's a radial, right. it's a radial property. So the place that okay. you have to be most confident at is the place that you can, you're injecting. Right, highest pressure point right there. And so obviously you're, you're, you're penetrating whatever the layers are, the containment system, and obviously it has to be resealed, I would assume. Is, what is it? You pump cement down? You, what do you, I mean, yep, what do, you we do? We have a whole set of technologies. Um, mm -hmm. Perhaps you've known in the news of various people who've failed in this yes, technology. It is possible. <laughs> <laughs> so we pay a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, the whole community um, pays a lot of attention to Macondo and Aliso Canyon, these places where yep. they were supposed to be managing it and failed. But you right. notice that it, it, those were mistakes. Those and they were they were not, economic errors. They weren't technical problems. They no. were failures because they got cheap. As I so read that, about the, the the plugging of the um, the BP spill out there, and they just they they cut. They didn't cap. They didn't they didn't cap it right, and they were trying to go too fast. Okay, for those of us who are not, I'd right. uh, never worked on an oil field <laughs> or know nothing about this. What are we talking about? I've actually got two questions. First is you talked about the garden hose. You're going to access your confinement area through an injection I'm point correct but i'm trying to imagine this in my mind um how you know if we have a a confinement area it's a three-dimensional space you're not gonna and you're coming in i assume from above yeah mm -hmm. um you're are you going to stop right when you hit it do you go into the middle of it do you go to the bottom of it it's a good question um, how do you do that? Your choice. It depends on how much fluid it'll accept. Um, the best way we have is that, and that we use to um, maximize the use of the well is to deviate the well. You go down vertically for a while, and then you turn and, mm -hmm. and, and zoom off sideways. And then by the time you're in the zone, the, right. inject, the injection zone, you're going laterally. And that means that you can spread out the pressure, and you don't have one point that's being released at you have a whole so length of, of interest the release is parallel to the surface of the earth essentially you're in a layer yeah. and you turn 90 this is but, this is the thing people don't really know in directional drilling is you can make a 90 it takes a little bit of a curve there but uh, you can go sideways yeah. and you create uh, injection over a broader area and this is how it's like a sprinkler thing with a bunch of holes in it yeah. is that kind of the idea well you go down vertically for uh -huh. a while and then you and then you um deviate the well you put tools on it that will make the drilling focus on one side and mm -hmm. um and it'll turn it it'll turn it'll 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 turn and so, until it goes and you if you want you can make it go completely horizontal mm -hmm. um, that's how the well that's been operating for 20 years in the north sea is for co2 injection norway's well at at schleipner field we could huh. talk about that um yeah that but, but that's how it's okay. completed or we could or uh, you um the ones at West Ranch are just vertical wells. They're they you. It's very simple. You perforate them. You have a sand, and it's you want to inject into it, and it's and it's uh, thirty feet thick. You um, make holes in the pipe. Yeah, with, and let it leak out. So it is like that long. Those what are those those green ones that are like the snake soaker holes? <laughs> yeah, a soaker. That's it's what I'm saying. It's a thinking. soaker hose. The pipe becomes a soaker hose, and the technology of all of this, and it's not. Um, 
a coincidence that we're sitting at the University of Texas Bureau of Economic Geology, where the science and technology of drilling and subsurface uh, science has is deep here. I yeah. mean, to use a bad word, but it is. It's <laughs> this is what BEG has been doing for decades, and there's a lot of great scientists and, here. And and, the, and it's a it's fully commercial operation. You know, so so it's a it's a regulated commercial operation that okay if and that. Um, then we'll talk more about what we do with mistakes, but let's go back and talk, finish talking about what, what, we're, what yeah. we're trying to do, um, what, how we do it correctly, which is uh, most wells operate quite correctly. So you were talking about the well itself. Um, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a whole protocol about how you drill a well. Um, you, we've drilled several wells for experimental purposes, so I know this. Uh, you, you drill a large diameter well, and our, our last set was 10 inches. Okay. Um, you put a steel... A steel casing, casing and mm-hmm. you cement that in. The way you cement it in is you put cement down the middle and you squeeze it up along the outside. So then it's the and then you and then you chase that cement so that it's you, the center of the well is now open and the cement's all gone up. And cemented the steel to the rock. It's outside the pipe at that point. And then we start worrying about whether that's good, and we can um, do various tests. It's required by the regulator to do various mm-hmm. tests. Um, you can use it, test it with physics. For example, if the steel is hanging in space, not welded in properly, cemented in properly, it will ring. So you can hmm. um, well tonality well, and the uh, acoustics of the acoustic, pipe. Acoustic. You, you can wow. see the whole. You can see where resonance. You can see where the pipe is is not cemented in properly. Huh. Um, you can buy all these tools and um, to, or, or you can uh, actually. Um, it's like uh, tapping the hull of a boat. You could put in a short short half-like radioactive tracer if you want to worry higher and then you can squeeze and see if you can get any to come up outside mm-hmm. the well um, Very interesting. and and show that the well that the cement has integrity so cement integrity is you can't get a permit unless you can prove to the regulator you have cement integrity okay um uh and then and and then you can keep t- testing it over the life of the well you have to d- do mechanical tests and show that the cement has not degraded um mm-hmm. most of the failures you hear about are somebody didn't do the tests didn't um right um that that technology's ready it, that errors occur and um so that but this isn't a showstopper it's just a Okay. Make sure that it's regulated, regulated industry. So um, the the mechanics of the process uh, is is understood. It's you're fairly comfortable. I would say highly comfortable in both the underlying science of sequestration and subsurface layers. The technology is knowable and is regulated. So that's given me comfort. Um, I have a I have a question I want to just throw out here because I wonder what it's like to wake up every day. And to think about this problem when the universe of discussion around climate change and what's happening on the earth is can be somewhat dark and and the consequences somewhat serious. I was talking to Tyler about this. I said, you know, in the movies when there's always the scientists when the asteroid's coming and there's the scientists who are figuring out this is how we can do it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not being facetious. I'm wondering, what is it like to work on something that is discussed to be sort of an existential issue for the planet. I mean, you got to think like, <laughs> oh man, I'm feeling some pressure. Like, are you thinking I'm going to make the basket here? We actually can do this. I mean, what is that like? 
it yeah, really we, we did were, you feel rather heroic yeah. i mean it's, it seems very heroic to me <laughs> i'm glad it, we, 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 do, that, we do feel motivated do you, <laughs> we we also feel a little frustrated because people don't realize that there's something we can do they right. can do and the thing is order your energy decarbonized it can you can have it okay. you don't ha- people often think that you have to give up you have mm-hmm. to stop you have to ride your bicycle, which is great. Yeah. Everyone should ride their bicycle. But if you find that you can't ride your bicycle um, for some reason, um, we can all imagine a reason, um, and you need to use fossil fuel, um, you could you could decarbon you could pay to have that your your energy decarbonized. Um, okay. And this but, is one of the many techniques you can okay, use so, available so, to you. I mean. Uh, I'm an optimist as as a general person, and I, and I do think that one of the great characteristics of the human community is our ability to innovate and to think and to do things that we've never thought we could do. That happens all the time through history. And, uh, you know, I think that the notion that climate change or carbon, uh, the carbon oxide atmospheric problem is going to be up to all of us to sort of like ride more bikes and things is very frustrating for people they it seems very futile and we want to be saved we want to be saved by people like you who are like on the scale of the problem i can take a million tons of co2 and i can put it in back in the ground in a safe way and this is comes down to the magnitude i mean this i think the magnitude of the problem is huge and the magnitude of the solution has to be big. Do you feel like you're in the ballpark of that yeah. discussion? We we have to, our, we uh, we don't get funding unless we have ambition for 50 million tons per site. 50 million tons per site. And, and, and that's so, small. We need to do that over and over again. So we're thinking big. Okay. When, when we, when we, before we get done, we should come back and talk about why the Gulf Coast. Yeah, we should. Yes. Um, and we should also talk a little bit about what we do about risk. And totally. risk management is at least okay. half of our work. We'd we'll love to circle let's, back to that. Let's go back to, the, so t- give us a, sort of a tour of the planet. Where is, I mean, this isn't theory. This is being done now. I think I read you guys have put 3 million tons in the ground so far in Texas. Is that, I'm not sure that's the right number. Oh, but, it's much more than that. Yeah. Okay, tell us what's going on on the planet and why the Texas Gulf Coast is attractive as a as a as a storage base for atmospheric co2 so so the um the early movers were taking um uh co2 from impure methane from the valverde basin which is in south texas so the southwest texas um co2 is is the methane commercial methane is contaminated with co2 and it doesn't have enough btu okay can't go to pipe not burnable so it has to be the co2 has to be stripped and so Hmm. Uh, 1970s, they were using this to remove oil. Remember, we talked about the ami, uh, amine salt. No, this is the this is the soap on your tie analogy. Ah, it's dry, okay. it's dry cleaning fluid for oil. It's stuck. Okay. So they've been injecting in, in the Permian Basin of West Texas since uh, for oil recovery, large large volumes, um, 80 million tons in Sackrock Field, huh. and that's only one of of some 80 of them. There's and they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Where well, are they getting it, the CO2? Well, so the CO2 is coming, part of it's coming from the stripped out of gas. It's a byproduct, uh, okay. mm-hmm. a, a waste product of gas mm-hmm. production. The and gas so, flare off, they're, they're taking the CO2 out of the flare line and they're putting it back in, kind of thing? No, gas comes, the gas they're producing is, is, is methane plus some uh, CO2. Okay, sorry. Right. So it's got to be, it's got to, you got to clean it up, take the CO2 out, then you have mm-hmm. pure CO2 and you can use it. Okay. 
They also produce CO2 from natural CO2 accumulations in right. the Rocky Mountains. Um, now, Dr. Mark Moore Perrier region. You're right, right, right. Sure, so. let, let me ask one thing I think I, I really am curious about this is, is when you're talking about going back to the 70s and in in the Permian Basin where they were injecting CO2 and have been doing 80 million tons and stuff, they've been using it. And that application is partly in a, is an enhanced oil recovery strategy, right? By putting this stuff down to the ground, we actually, and this is why the oil companies are, have figured it out because this is how you produce more oil, right? Right. And this, I really want to, I know that this is a sensible thing that we're talking about doing, but it's, it's quite easy to think that this is, um, that, that the motivation involved here is actually uh, to put the CO2 in the ground to have more CO, uh, more oil, which is obviously going to uh, produce more CO2 when it's burned. I mean, does this pencil out and why should we, you know, the technology that we're talking about using here is, is the technology of the oil and gas industry. And yes. it's just ironic to it's me it. that the saviors of potential major player <laughs> in the reduction of greenhouse gas in, in, uh, in the atmosphere is going to be the oil and gas industry of America and the world, right? Yep. It's, is that it's weird? Like, it's, it's a, it is, it is. People, people think, don't want to do it. Many people don't want to do it because of that, that they yeah, think kind of out of spite or something. Well, that it's, that it's contaminated. Um, so oh, okay. two things, we, we could use the CO2, can use the CO2 to recover more oil. My, my colleague Vanessa Nunez has done a study looking at called um, net carbon negative oil. Right. And I think we don't, probably don't have time to get into it, but we could talk about the- The concept. Gr- gr- Grist, Grist Magazine one day called me and said, it's bait and switch. You know, you think you're, you think you're saving the atmosphere, but you're just producing more oil. That's it, unfair, really. But it, well, it, it is fair to ask the question, what's the life cycle? How, how much do you get ahead? And mm-hmm. so we, we have a technical paper. I think it would take me 15 minutes to right. round your, the answer is both. It, for, it has a period of being ne- carbon negative, and then it, it switches to being carbon positive as the field gets older and older. Um, and we could talk about that. Okay. What it means is that if you want to get started capturing, you can pay for it partly by oil. You could build the infrastructure and pay that some of those right. expenses. The pipelines and all the things uh, to move it are, that's infrastructure we got to build from different places to, you know, to, you know we're not taking the gas to the Houston to heat our homes it's got to go to this remote place or this area where we're going to pump it back underground so there's cost they're, to this they're not very remote places they're, they're not on, okay. on your beloved coastline you know okay. so <laughs> beloved coastline. we want people this is this isn't somebody's cared for area you know we, we don't want to talk about it remote we want to be it we want it to be okay. a recycle reuse recycle thing that that's mm. acceptable and and so that's what the petronova plant is doing. They're selling to keep their costs manageable, so that the because Texas is, not, is a deregulated electric right. industry, they can't just capture the CO two and store it and charge the rate bayer. Right now, somebody may want. We probably want to start wanting that to get mm-hmm. the same way you buy green paper towels and you're willing to pay a little more for this right. to be a recycled product. Perhaps you want your your electricity decarbonized. It's got to work economically for this to happen. But it's not free. No, it is not. So that's the thing you have to pay to have your electric electricity decarbonized by one way or another way or another way. Um, hmm. Either go to wind or go to solar well, or carbon non-carbon product, energy production. I'm reminded back to the beginning of our conversation. We talked about the carbon cycle. I mean, it seems like when you're buying, like if you're going to buy some carbon, uh, you're not just buying the carbon on the out. You got to buy it. Put you have to buy the the full cycle. In other yes. words, if you're going to participate with carbon. 
You have to participate in both directions. And our society is just learning this. We know we're starting yes. to have to do this with electronics, that we should include the in the price of electronics, the disposal and recycle costs. Right. We're not perfect on this, and we're not perfect on the carbon, but we could. Um, so there's a lot of t- discussion about about the um, carbon taxes and different ways, to, different mechanisms where you could pay for um, pay to decarbonize. But um, this this is the misunderstanding of is the of the economics. It will cost more to take the carbon out. The free thing is to release it to the at- to burn fossil, release it to the atmosphere. Right. That's that's uh, the cheapest. But if you don't want that to happen. Either you have to give up the fossil, and you may or may not be able to do that right. globally for everybody. And so the International Energy Agency, who does studies of this, um, says we if we put carbon capture and storage in the in the mix, we get lowest we get the lowest cost of decarbonization. Okay, and it's so, it's in the mix. I would like to emphasize that to your, to to you and your listeners mm-hmm. that we're not trying to take over the world with this technology. Right. We're it, trying to contribute a, a method, one of the tools in the kit, and people shouldn't forget this tool because it may be the one you need. Right, right. Um, and it's going to be an all of the above. What is the answer to this uh, is going to be all of the above. Yes, we are going to try to produce energy with less CO2 generation. We are going to try to extract CO2 from what we're doing now. There's got to be a variety of strategies, as you say, uh, the toolkit has to be pretty hefty, and we have to employ, I think, in the long run, as many of them as we can. I agree with that. Is and that kind of... Actually, be- actually, to be correct, we have to offer the industries and the consumers their option of what what would be most useful, and wait and see what the, what the choices people make, which is one reason I wanted to talk to your coastal listeners, is because mm-hmm. if to use the to use the nearshore sediments beneath miles beneath the nearshore environments won't there will be people who care deeply about of those course. environments you and, betcha and uh, and um, we want we at, in our state in the stage of, of research we're at now we want to hear from people who are interested in, in use and protection hmm. of coastal environments um, okay so to join the conversation to join the conversation and tell us Okay. Things we don't know, or you may not realize, um, to get information from us about what Great. we know about the risks and the and the opportunities, but also to learn from people what what are the highest concerns, so that people can make the choices they want to make. Um, that's very that's, forward thinking, and because you're in the research and applied research stage of this, it's not on a massive scale at this point, but it, uh, it's likely to be co- a coastal. Uh, exercise. So, so, We're going to be near the shoreline when we. So we started our I and my group here started this idea that some of the best environments for storage were um, at or just just oceanward of the coastline in the deep subsurface. And okay. we can't say this too many times. People right. always jump to saying we're going to do something in the water column. No, right. that would be illegal. Well, let's put illegal. a number on that. Deep subsurface means thousands of feet it, underground. It, Is has that, to, it has to I mean, be. It varies, it be, but. It has to be at least 2,200 feet to get the dense phase CO2. It has to be below uh, uh, 
the confining system, so you have to add some thousands of feet below that. Okay. So the target intervals we usually work with are at least a mile, sometimes two. Okay. Um, Fabulous. Feet. And um, we know the oil industry can do that. I worked on a gas well that was 18,000 feet up in uh, yeah, the usually, Permian Basin. We usually don't want to go that deep because it, the pressure gets higher. So mm-hmm. it's not, oh, really? Not this so week's there's top. kind of a Goldilocks area uh-huh. there. Is above about 10,000 feet and below below 5,000 feet. Um, okay. Um, and the, and it needs to, and it it has it it's in the sediment beneath the sea. Gotcha. Uh, um, so as a coastal let's 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 introduce the coastal community, the real estate people, the surfers, and the shipping people, and all of these folks who live and work on this very populated space that we utilize. What would they see physically? along the shore and how what what are we talking about we're we talking about a drilling rig here right is that i mean what would we say what yeah. to execute this in so, near shore what are we talking so about so we have a couple options you can you the japanese who are even more densely populated and mm. socially and environmentally um conscientious maybe that's the word um, i'd give them intense that. about intense. it yeah. <laughs> organized so, so, so we were just meeting uh, we were okay just meeting good yeah them. in fact we're collaborating with them they drilled their wells onshore and went under the offshore and went so the deviated well mm-hmm. starts onshore mm-hmm. um so it might be a well pad you know people most people have seen a you'd have certainly to bring in a drill, texas we a, have a drilling rig and um it sticks up for it makes noise it's regulated mm-hmm. it's a bit of a pest because trucks mm-hmm. come in yeah it's not free but um, we're going from the store and then offshore we know how deep we're going five to ten thousand feet down how f- are we going directionally drilling offshore a mile two three four what's the how far out and under um, the sea are we going so th- this is about finding the right flower pot okay why would we why would we bother the coastal community which is a sensitive sensitive region it's yeah. under under already under serious onslaught from climate change mm-hmm. um, quite right why would you ha- harass a, a an environment that's already got stress. And the reason is... That's the best question of the interview right there. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go. Do you want to switch? <laughs> Wait, the, the, go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the, the reason is geologic. Okay. Um, we were looking for these big, thick piles of sand. Mm-hmm. And where are they? They're, where, where have you seen a pile of sand form? It's where the river meets the sea. Mm-hmm. It's sorted. It makes a nice on the beach. Mm-hmm. That's the spot. That's where. We, so, these are buried. You said we weren't going to mess with the beach, as the current beach, right? Right. Because that's protected. Right. It should be. But in the past, during geologic time, you got to help us here, Sue. So back in, we're talking twenty million years ago. There you go. Thanks, my <laughs> the, That's not the ocean. A hundred years ago, we're talking twenty million years ago. Uh, we can find those old beaches, and they're. They're down there. They're way down there. Right. And that's what you're looking for. Because the people to talk about subsidence on the Gulf Coast, mm-hmm. we know this is happening. It's happening geologically. The Gulf Coast is going down. Right. The Rocky Mountains are going up. Right. They have made over geologic times environments that are very similar today. Mm-hmm. They started up, you know, it used to be the coastline was, was up mostly to Austin. Yeah. Or even further. That's why I love finding foss, marine fossils here right. in Austin is this used to be the shoreline, it Austin, did. Texas. And then and then it, it migrated, uh, filled in the Rocky Mountains, were eroded and built built huh. the coast of Texas. Oh, that's and, how. The, and, uh, we and, were talking about that today. We're like, how did, okay, anyway. And it's built out further. Sometimes the, subs, the subsidence, the amount of sediment has been larger. Like there was vigorous mountain building. 20 million years ago. Okay. And it built further out. So some under 
so down there, when you go a mile or two down in the Miocene Age strata, for example, okay. there there are beaches buried. Okay. And they're, and they're buried 10 or 20 miles offshore. Okay. So you're looking for ancient shorelines, which happen to be... And river ex- deposits. And river which happen to be accessible, really, from the current coastal areas. They're, they're located there because that's yeah, where the permanent edge of the continent, where it goes from higher floating continental crust to ocean crust. Huh. So um, okay. the coast not there by accident. Okay. It's a, it's a long-lived feature that's maintained huh. and mo- moves around a little bit, um, goes out to sea, comes back. And that produces the sand, okay. the beach, or the, the delta or the river deposit. And then the sea rises, and it... Le- lays down a layer of clay okay and then the Perfect. and then the river builds out and deposits a delta a beach and, and we then get these stratified layers we get these layers it's over. building our containment system for us it is and so there are hundreds count them mm-hmm. we on, on my wall you'll see all these pictures <laughs> of hundreds of layers of um which we know and we give them each individual names like the greta our friend the greta so that's your favorite layer <laughs> the greta All is, the, uh, is the greta is greta going to help us solve climate change is that part of <laughs> frio blue sand you know i, I okay. know these like my children how <laughs> wonderful i love it so we work on them we work on them intensely to understand their flower pot nature how they can contain okay. what it would take to spill um so and, we can now there's a couple questions i have you could put the rigs uh, you know a mile yeah. offshore so we, we don't at least have to hear them or they can be on land and that's a cost issue i'm sure that there's probably some differential we're, there that we're still trying to figure it out nobody's the the drilling near shore in the gulf coast is kind of quiescent so mm-hmm. we don't have a good modern cost if any of your listeners want to talk to us about okay. it, what a good modern cost where to get it how to estimate it more correctly right yeah you could go you can go. We're not talking about ultra deep water here, where the right. modern activities, most of the modern activities in the Gulf, it's in are, the deep water, right, in is, the federal waters out yeah. there. Yeah, and it could be federal water. There's, uh-huh. it would be a um, so. We got three marine leads here in Texas. Out ten miles is state submerged land, right. and then we get into the federal folks. Right. And the you know, this week I just have to throw this in because I read this week that in March. Uh, the Bureau of Offshore Energy Management, the federal agency that leases offshore land for oil and gas development, mm-hmm. is opening up 78 million acres of the Gulf of Mexico, all the remaining unleased federal land throughout the Gulf of Mexico next month. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we're, as a country, we're pursuing our energy resources. I think that's been the policy of a couple of administrations now. We're the number one oil and gas producer in the world. Uh, is the United States, I think, since 2013. We're a big-time energy producer now, but we're also tackling these consequences, and I think that's the focus of what you're doing. Yeah, it's an option for people who want a business, for example, to decarbonize. Mm-hmm. Decarb- that's you could, you could You could uh, sell decarbonized products, and it's an advantage that the Gulf Coast has is that we both have the resource resources and the storage so you could close the loop mm-hmm. make a make a decar extract the carbon use the produce the energy and other products that that you want to sell and then put back the carbon um right without having to ship it or transport it anywhere i see um it's so almost a little uh, uh, you know indirect cap and trade kind of idea it's a direct cap it's a, it is, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very uh <clears throat> That the, the the business community I don't think has caught on to the fact that that we have this big advantage o- over mm. over people in, for example, New England or Minnesota, or um, that 
because of our geology here in Texas. Is yes. that what you're saying? We that have, we, we, have we, have unfair, we have the storage space. We have unf unfair advantage two ways. We have both the resource yeah. and the technology and the storage space. So we could decarb we could pull it up, huh. extract the CO2 and put it back down. Um, okay. Um, okay. And, and, uh, and sell decarbonized product, which at a higher price, assuming that assuming that the, the citizens and purchasers wanted mm -hmm. value it, whether a stick or a stick to beat you into decarbonizing your yeah, products I think or in, carrot. In, <laughs> Incentive-based approaches, and, it, and I think on a problem of this scale, it is going to take the proper economic incentives for this activity because of its duration and cost. It's a big-time thing to do. Uh, and it brings me to something I, uh, I w at least want to mention for the visitors is the in, in the 2018 tax bill that was passed, uh, there was a specific section of the Internal Revenue Service Code 45Q. Yes. Which is the uh, which is the carbon sequestration tax credit that was beefed up and expanded and extended, and what this thing does, and I think I think most of our listeners know what a tax credit is. If you've got a hundred dollar tax liability and you get a twenty dollar tax credit, you only owe the government eighty bucks. It's a dollar for dollar reduction in your tax liability, and so forty five Q allows gives a credit. I think. There's a couple of rates here, but $20 a ton, if you put a ton of CO2 down in, in, in what is called secure geological storage, they're going to give you 20 bucks for doing it's that. Got, it's up. It's, it's, and they raised it's it, right? It's $50 a ton. 50 for, a ton. For storage. So if you put 30, a... If you 35, put a, $35 if you're going to use it to recover oil. Okay. So. Wonderful. So, so if, you, if you put a million pounds of CO2 million tons in the ground, you're going to get $50 million tax credit. And what's interesting in the IRS code when I was reviewing it is, you know, sometimes I think we read that, you know, Exxon doesn't pay any taxes or some of these companies, they may not have a tax liability, but these are transferable, number one. Uh, the source of the CO2 that you're capturing could be the coal plant or the cement factory or whatever can share in the credit, the sequester can share in the credit, and it is it is there are investor opportunities in the value of the tax credit and i just think that a people don't know about this but i think if you're trying to you're wondering is carbon sequestration a serious enterprise the answer to that is yes for two reasons one the work that you guys have been doing for years now to figure it out and now we're seeing the economics infrastructure being built for this to occur um are you an optimist about sequestration as a as a meaningful tool in the kit? As a tech, from a technology standpoint, yes, it it works. We know it. Okay. Um, we've done it. We've done it. We've we've done the monitoring for these projects to show that that what as they're working as advertised, the storage mm. is taking place. I believe um, you. Um, and I'm not a social scientist, so I I never know what my fellow yeah. man will do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I hope that I hope that if, as people understand that that this is possible, that that they'll uh, select uh, push harder to have decarbonized products to use decarbonized right. energies, um, and and a, and I think they're complementary. That if there's a a value in decarbonizing, then and you prefer strongly uh, solar or, right. or or nuclear or 
you prefer so, then mm-hmm. then you can choose to purchase right. that preferentially but this technology supports the others the I gotcha. the low the low cost is to burn and release to air right that is the tragedy and, of the commons the, and the, and using it, our common spaces as disposal areas which we used to do a lot in the rivers but still do quite a bit in the air and that's not good practice so if we if we uh, shut that we because we can manage it it offers us the opportunity to manage it and doing that um, means that that the fossil can no longer be the low bidder. Mm. It, you would, it makes right. all other options, uh, you know. There you go. Um, more attractive. So which so so I, I don't I don't think this technology is a competitor. I think it's a it's a collaborator with yeah. all the other carbon reduction technologies. It's an augmentation. It's a, it's it, a, it's great to have it. And I I personally think I didn't realize this was as far along that there was as much energy, and I mean both intellectual and financial energy being invested in this technology and that it actually is being deployed in several places around the world. It has been tested. There's more to learn, you know, all of this stuff, but it's a reality. It's and a reality. Boy, it's nice to get some good news that maybe we can sort of turn the clock back. The, the, the really thing I wonder is, you know, we're in a sh- I think I guess we're fairly early in the application of this idea. Um, I think the human community is producing somewhere in the neighborhood, I don't know, 40 million tons a year. If we could undo this year, for example, put 40 million in the ground, 40 million tons in the ground, we've we sort of gone back to 2018. In order for us to make serious progress here, it's a long-term exercise, right? We have to just get good at this and do it for a long time and we might start to bend that parts per million curve it has to be a sustainable activity and financially viable which is how i read hear that yeah and globally too yeah which is one of the challenges many people want to talk about the problems of of the global application which are real um we work a lot with collaborators in in china i'm editing editing a journal and we have so many Chinese collaborators. Mm. I think people shouldn't have a false impression that this is all on the U.S. Great. Or all on the coast of Texas, that it's, Great. A, it's a global thing. And a lot of people are working on it um, in, in their in their neighborhood. Australia has a project shipping decarbonized hydrogen to, to Japan, for example. Mm. Is one of our <laughs> really? So we're not alone. <laughs> Introdu- introduce us to the community that you work in scientifically and what you're seeing in your colleagues in the state of the the state of the art as it were who tell yeah tell us more about that that so the chinese are active you said norway has got an operating very active facility we we have a speaker today who's coming from the uk who manages a a, the um international energy agency greenhouse gas r&d program it's a mouthful um yeah anyway tim dixon who's talking about policy global policy prep preparation of um, um, to uh, include on land but also the breakthroughs to include a protection for um, storage in marine environment sediments below marine environments okay um, which is possible now under the London protocol well so it's regulated require you know we have yeah. to show this you have to show this but it's also permissible so it means that countries like South Africa um, who produce huge amounts of co2 when they do coal to, to coal to liquids for their for um, yeah. that uh, they could they can join and store their CO two. Well, 
you know, I, I kind of want to say on behalf of the human race, you know, thank you for doing <laughs> what you do every day and to all of the people around the world who are working on this sequestration issue, because I think we've got to put our best minds on this problem and put our energy behind it. And it sounds like that's what you guys do day in and day out here at this, uh, at, at the Bureau of Economic Geology and other institutes around the world. And is it true that surprise, surprise, people might be uh, surprised to learn that the oil and gas industry is funding a lot of this research. Is that fair to say? The, the oil and gas industry uh, realizes that they're in the energy business, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll sell you whatever kind of energy you're buying. I, right. I've heard a lot of um, friends, environmentally conscious friends, who, um, including myself, who say, um, yeah, the fossil fuel industry is doing this to us. Yeah, but actually, it's kind of unfair, really. We, I find that I have to pay for my fossil energy, and I, I'm sorry not to have it decarbonized. I bear the guilt, but the, the possibility of buying guilt-free energy mm-hmm. is something attractive to people. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, well the ma- the major oil companies, high energy companies, many of them are changing their name to include energy. You know, yeah. to say that we're selling energy. We're not just selling you one form of energy. We're selling you what you want to buy. If you yeah. want to pay for it, we're ready to sell it to you. Absolutely. So they, I, they're not doing it out of the greenness of their heart. Nope. They're, they're, they're doing it because they think the demand for the product. Um, so we as consumers have a great deal of, of um, a power. Power that Collective we, power we should do. be using. We should yeah. be saying, I will pay. Mm-hmm. Not a huge amount. It's not doubling, but it's an incremental cost of the same sort of incremental huh. cost you pay for other mm-hmm. recycled products. I'm a green. I'm on the city of Austin green power program. I pay a little bit more in my kilowatt hour rate because I'm I'm trying to tap into the city of Austin's wind energy uh, production and stuff, and I I pay a little bit more for that because I think that's a good thing. And I was a, in it so early, I got bumped off. Now <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good deal for a while when it when it started, <laughs> and. <laughs> I, I think it's not quite as good a deal nowadays, but um, in the in you know one of the things that was interesting to me, um, a couple of things in Coastal News today when I'm perusing through what's going on in the inter- offshore energy industry is BP. I think it's BP just spent 225 million dollars to buy into the offshore wind leases that were just sold off of Massachusetts. Those leases went for about 400 million dollars to a, a consortium of companies. But BP was one of the bidders, and so was the biggest utility company in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. I think it's called Eversource, I think is the name of it. But the oil and, the, the, the energy people uh, are really starting to look at these alternative uh, generation because they're, you know what, we're, we're, I think it's, it's a little bit like the iPhone. We're going to get smart about non-carbonized, non-combustion-based energy sources and it's technologically uh, something that can get more efficient and better. Uh, and I think we're going to—I think the economics are going to push us in that direction. That's sort of my long-term thought. Is that consistent with what you see in the well, industry? Yeah. Well, I'm not a—I'm I'm yeah. a long way from an economist, but um, yeah, but, me too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I can fake it. <laughs> the, I at least try to read about it. The, <laughs> the, the thing—the thing we hear from the International Energy Agency in Paris when they do these studies is—is yep. is that you can displace quite a lot of fossil power and. Um, out of the system, and it, it's hotly debated how much you can displace. Okay. Um, 
but that the costs begin to go up if you try to displace it all. If you right. try to forbid, uh, you know, put do right. prohibition of any fossil. I totally it, the, believe that. The costs go up. Um, so that they put carbon capture and storage in their portfolio to ca- to manage cost. Huh. As, and it's not a, it's, so it's a mix that huh. uh, there are a lot of products that can't be decarbonized. Um, okay. You can't, that you have to, like cement, steel, All right. plastics, these things produce CO2. So you have to deal with those. Okay. If you wanted to use the, the 1.5 degree technologies, if you wanted to capture from the air, direct yeah. air capture, and you're going to do what with it? Put it in the ground. That's uh, there's a lot of people trying to make it into products, which great that that's an, a okay. recycle use. Okay. Um, but it's probably not. Um, the, most of the people think that that's a, a relatively minor contribution. Okay. That you can only make so many sneakers, de- right. carbon carbon uh, carbon uh, neutrals. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. That there's that there's all the and they're valuable. I don't want to be disparaging. Of course not. But we're talking about scale of the, the magnitude of the problem and the magnitude of the solution need to be sort of in in balance a little bit. And and if if you want to do um, Beck's um, bioenergy, you that you can you can capture hmm. capture the carbon using plant sources right and, and photosynthesis and then and I've then seen you, that commercial and there's make, an algae bubbling tube in an energy company going right. this is what we're working and, on, and on. Bo- both direct air capture and 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 backs are are quite expensive but hmm. they need ccs as their offtakes um okay. in, in order to get the in order to do something with the captured co2 they need it so so um I would encourage people who are feel very strongly and in, in as as I do that this is a, a key problem to consider the CCS as an ally, not an enemy. CCS being the carbon capture and storage. This process we're okay. capturing CCS, put, okay, putting great. it underground. Mm-hmm. Um, to look at this as a serious effort. As an ally. As it's an ally. A, it's an ally, not an enemy. Great. E- even though it makes friends with the enemy, that's sometimes the way we yeah. actually find a solution. It's is. not a simple world, you know? There, yeah. it, pure, I mean, you know, I, I really do think I completely agree 100%. And, and what I find is that if you're serious about taking on uh, pr- problems in society, it, it is easy to be a clean hands person and sit on the sideline and just pontificate about what you think should happen and we should just quit using oil you know simple clean bam and what i call that is the good bar story you're going to sit in that place and you're going to say this stuff forever and it's never going to make a difference because you're not dealing with the complexity of society what the economic forces are the technological forces and solutions and serious people don't have this moralistic sense that, gee was we can't talk to the oil and gas centers because they have done this for us. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's where we can be. We have to work together, and that means all the players, especially in this case, the folks who can put a, a drill a hole that goes to 8,000 feet and pump something down there, that ain't going to be me. <laughs> that's going to be Exxon. <laughs> and so if we want to talk about this, we've got to talk to the engineers and the people and all. That's who's at the table, and that's our partner. And I think we have to think about it that way. That, I think that's right, that it's uh, that we've met the enemy and he is us pogo said that in the 60s, 60s. <laughs> that's right <laughs> we we, uh, we all it takes every, it takes all the it it takes all the players to find a solution that that can uh, can make this big change in in energy well thank you dr susan havorka 
Senior Research Scientist at the Bureau of Economic Geology, Jackson School of Geosciences, and Executive Director of the Gulf Coast Carbon Center, I believe. Is that right? Yep. I don't think I have an executive. I'm okay. Just a, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> you got it. But if people are interested in this and want to know more, tell us how to get... It in, how can they learn more from, from we, about we, this? We would love to talk to stakeholders who have concerns or um, uh, want to give us input to how we should plan our future research. We didn't talk about what happens if something goes wrong, and we have a big effort on that, uh, this mm-hmm. environmental um, assurance part of the, this, this complements the deep storage. So um, uh, our website is gulfcoastcarbon.org. Okay. Give us a, you know, we're, and we're, our faces and our contact information is all up there. I, I saw the team. We'd, I, 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 we'd, we'd, we'd all love to hear from you, and, um, and we'd especially like to hear from people from diverse shrimpers and and uh, fisher fisher people and and shri- and uh, fantastic uh, anybody who likes the beach and who wants to know more about this tell us what's on your mind and um, fantastic maybe we can stop uh, climate change we can make a dent in it for sure and we must I think it's absolutely imperative that we get better at I think we need to move I really do think that some of the combustion technologies we're using now are just one step above picking up sticks and burning a campfire we're just it's not that far we haven't moved that far along and i believe we can do better than that we so. can but thank you dr hoborka so much for having us at your wonderful office and uh i'm going to uh, if you don't mind peruse the lobby and all the fantastic wow. maps and technology it's just beautiful what you guys well, are doing up here thank you peter and tyler for coming help us get our communication objections ambitions Fun